Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the April 7th, 2022 Sign Code Board of Appeals meeting. My name is Luke Mortensen, and I'll be facilitating the Zoom video portion of the meeting. With me in the room is Catherine Week, Planner and Staff Liaison to the Board of Zoning Appeals and the Sign Code Board of Appeals. We will work alongside the Chair to facilitate tonight's proceedings. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the City's YouTube channel and Public Access Cable Channel 25. During the meeting, please mute yourself when not actively speaking. Please keep your video, video on for the duration of the meeting. If you are participating by phone, you can enter star six to mute and unmute. There will not be screen sharing as a part of tonight's meeting. All attachments, reference materials, and submissions from the public are included in the agenda packet. In order to comply with the Kansas Open Meetings Act, board members must state their name and title each time they speak. Members of city staff will also state their name and title each time they speak. Applicants and members of the public should identify themselves each time before they speak. The chair will call for in-person for in and virtual public comment for those who wish to speak. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each commissioner individually to provide their vote. Staff will then need to announce whether the motion carried in the count of the vote. At this time, I'll turn the meeting back over to Chair Falvey. Good evening. Uh, this is Chair Falvey um, to the April 7th Sign Code Board of Appeals meeting. Um, staff, could you do roll call so we can determine if there's quorum? Yes, staff liaison Catherine Week. Clark. Falvey. Here, Gardner. Gardner. Here. Thank you. Herod. Here. Rankin. Here. Shalinsky. I'm here. Weisner. Okay, we do have quorum. Thank you. This is Chair Falvey. Um, are there any acknowledgments of communication to come before the board? Stephanie is on Catherine Week. We have no additional communications to come before the board. Everything for you is in your packet. Is there any disclosure of ex parte communications or abstentions for the specific agenda item? Seeing none. Um, are there any items that will be deferred tonight? Staff liaison, Catherine Week, we have no items that will be deferred this evening. Okay, we'll move on to the public hearing portion. Um, we're here to consider a variance application, SB 22-00079, a request for a variance as provided in section 5-1828 of the sign code for the city of Lawrence um, at the property located at 814 West 23rd Street for um, a variance from the maximum square footage permitted for a sign within 15 feet of a public right-of-way. Um, staff, can you please do a report? Yes, thank you. Hello, board members. My name is Timberly French, Permit Technician for Planning and Development Services. Um, we come before you today to present a request for a variance from Section 51818F, which are the restrictions by zoning district for permanent internal ground signs for CS commercial strip zoning. The property is located at 814 West 23rd Street. 
um, the requested variance is to deviate from these provisions um, for the maximum sign size. The request is to place two permanent internal ground signs, one which is 9.6 square feet and one which is 4.93 square feet, both within 15 feet of the public right of way. Um, the property is zoned CS and what code allows is one sign for each 5,000 square feet of a lot or parcel, um, including 20,000 square feet, um, up to, I'm sorry, up to and including 20,000 square feet, plus one per 10,000 square feet of a lot or parcel greater than 20,000 square feet. And the proposed um, request is for two signs one at each entrance to the site. Um, so based on the size of the lot, um, which is 1.32 acres, both of the proposed signs may be approved. For sign size, the code states that um, a sign is limited to four square feet maximum area when located within 15 feet of a public right of way. Um, it increases to six square feet maximum when located more than 15 feet, but not more than 50 feet from a public right of way and 16 square feet maximum when located more than 50 feet from a public right of way. Um, the proposed southwest entrance sign would be 9.6 square feet and it would be located approximately 10 feet from the public right of way. And the southeast exit sign would be 9.3 square feet, I'm sorry, 4.93 square feet and would be located approximately 10 feet from the public right of way. So both signs would not be approved um, based on their size and location. The sign height um, is three foot maximum when located within 15 feet of the public right of way. And both of these proposed signs located at 10 feet from the public property line would be three feet in height. So this, the um, height is approved, uh, would be approved. And then um, internally and externally illuminated signs are allowed. Both of these proposed signs would be non-illuminated. So they would be approved based on their illumination. The criteria uh, for approval of a variance um, as written in the sign code per section 518.28, the board may grant variances from any person seeking a sign permit that cannot meet the restrictions or standard of the sign code upon the determination that all of the following findings have been fully met. Number one, at the time a variance is granted by the board, the board shall find that the variance request arises from conditions that are unique to the location in question, which are not ordinarily found in the same zoning district, and that the unique conditions are not caused or created by an action or actions of the property owner or applicant. Number two, at the time a variance is requested by the board, the board shall find that the granting of the variance will not be materially detrimental to the public welfare, including the visual appearance of the area or injurious to property or improvements in such zoning districts or the neighborhood in which the property is located. And number three, at the time a variance is granted by the board, the board shall find that the strict application of the requirements of Article 18, Chapter 5 of the City Code would result in practical difficulties or unnecessary hardships to the owner or applicant inconsistent with the general purpose and intent of the sign code. Such practical difficulties or unnecessary hardships may include compliance with amended provisions of the sign code that were not in effect at the time a predecessor sign was installed. 
Uh, staff opinion is that the request does not meet the criteria for granting of a variance. In the opinion of staff, conditions do not exist which are unique to the location and which are not ordinarily found in this, or which are ordinarily found in the same zoning district. And um, that unique conditions um, are not caused or created by an action or actions of the property owner or applicant. Um, the applicant is proposing to use signage to direct vehicles to enter and exit at their desired locations for traffic flow for their automotive shop. Um, this is not uncommon for other locations in CS zoning districts. Traffic control for entering and exiting the site is an action requested by the applicant. The width of the proposed entrance lane for 814 West 23rd Street is approximately 24 feet wide, and the width of the proposed exit lane is approximately 26 feet, both of which are adequate for two-way traffic to safely enter and exit together. The entrance and exit signs would be approximately 10 feet from the property line and would be legible from the public right-of-way of right-of-way right traffic on 23rd Street if reduced to the compliant four square feet. And in the opinion of staff, the granting of a variance may not be materially detrimental to the public welfare or injurious to the property or improvements of the neighborhood, uh, granting an increase of less than five square feet in area to the proposed signage would not negatively affect the property or public welfare. The proposed signage meets the maximum sign height requirement for signage located within a site triangle and does not pose a hazard to users entering or exiting the site. And in the opinion of staff, the strict application of the requirements of the sign code does not result in practical difficulties or unnecessary hardships that are inconsistent with the general purpose and intent of the sign code. The definition of the purpose of the sign code is to advance the health, safety, and welfare, as well as the aesthetics of the community. The setback allowances are designed to permit effective and efficient identification and communication based on how far the sign is located from the public right-of-way, and evidence has not been provided to show that the code cannot be met. Staff recommends denial of the requested variance for the maximum allowed sign size because all three of the criteria have not been met. The conditions are not unique to the user and structure. The requested variance is not detrimental to the public welfare, and the strict application of the sign code regulations would not cause practical difficulties or unnecessary hardship to the applicant. Um, that concludes staff report, and I'm available for questions if there are any. Thank you. This is Chair Falvey. Thank you. Um, is the applicant here? Either in City Hall or on the Zoom, Luke? Luke Mortensen, Planning Development <laughs> Services. The applicant is not in the room, and I don't believe the applicant is with us. Timberley, do you know? Uh, Timberly French, permit technician, I don't see them on the screen. Uh, it was my understanding that there would be more than one person attending tonight. Uh, the link was sent out and I got a response that there would be at least at least one person attending, but I don't see them here today. Yeah, Luke Morrison, Planning Development Services. I have, uh, let me check the um, waiting room just one more time, but I, I'm not seeing anybody in the waiting room either. This is Chair Falvey. Is there anyone um, for public comment either? Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services. There's no virtual public comment and there's nobody in the room either. 
This is Chair Balvey, thank you. Um, so I'll bring it to the board for discussion. Um, board Member Gardner, question for Timberly. Um, if they're wanting to have uh, an entrance and exit and flow, I'm, I'm looking at a Google overhead. Do they somehow drive around the facility or is it just in and out on either side? Uh, Timberly French, permit technician, you are correct. There is no way to get from one side of the parking lot to the other without traveling through the building, which is a shop, an automotive shop. So they right. would enter in and exit out. But if they were on one side of the parking lot, if they needed to get to the other side, they'd have to go back out into traffic. There's no way to get. All right. Right. Okay. So entry and exit is kind of, hmm. Okay. I could understand it if there was a flow. Well, this is board um, member Herod. Oh, go ahead, Barry. Okay, board member Shalinsky, I had a question. Um, these types of situations I think I'll make a statement before a question um, are not atypical. Um, I can think of one um, across the street, as a matter of fact, at um, McDonald's that has um, an entrance and an exit designated. Um, what I don't recall, uh, and I was there looking today at the site, but didn't look at McDonald's, uh, does anybody know how big the McDonald's signs are and whether they would be four square feet or bigger? Cause that would be like, I think a very, um, good example of how it's done. Chair Falvey, um, also down the street east on 23rd, on the same side of the street, there's another auto body shop and the signs seem to be smaller than the four square feet and their directional signs also. Board member Herod, I just wanna, I think, Board Member Shalinsky brings up a good point. You know, what's what's McDonald's doing across the street? Because they do a lot of business, have a lot of traffic. You know, just from memory, because I've been there a few times, maybe even this morning. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but uh, it's small. I mean, what is it? It's like probably at most three feet wide, 18 inches high, something like that. Um, I really appreciate, back to this, uh, uh, the candor of the applicant, because I think what they're essentially telling us is corporate has these pre-made signs and, and whatnot, and they have to use these signs, but corporate also only makes the signs in like, you know, just a couple sizes. And the size that's closest to our zoning code is still too big. 
I think they've essentially told us that in their application materials that we're supposed to use this stuff and what we've got is too big and we'd rather not have to pay for, you know, a one-off sign. But apparently it's possible to get that a sign that's compliant with our code. You know, and if that's the main reason that we're here, I appreciate them, you know, trying to save some money and maybe a bigger sign would be better, but our code doesn't allow it. So I, at this moment, I'm disinclined to grant the variance, you know, just given what they're telling us, which is they can get the sign and it'll even be compliant with corporate, but it just right now, just the boilerplate stuff that's cheaper is, isn't the right size for our code. I think that's what they're telling us. And financial hardship does not uh, qualify for uh, the, the un impossible. Although sometimes those signs seem pretty small trying to figure out which ones enter and which ones exit. Um, I've actually had that challenge before because they're not very big, but in this case where entry and exit's the same, it, it, to me it doesn't, uh, doesn't jive. This is Chair Falvey. Um, I think maybe do we need to go through the three conditions or does anyone have a motion they'd like to introduce? I'll make the motion. I would make the motion to deny the variance as requested um, by the applicant. Board Member Rankin, I will second that. Do we need to identify that it's uh, based on the uh, staff's analysis and the finding that it does does not meet all three conditions? I would accept that amendment to my motion. This is Chair Falvey. Uh, we have a motion and a second. Staff, can you please read the roll? Yes, definitely is on Catherine Week. Falvey? Yes. Gardner? Yes. Herod? Yes. Rankin? Yes. Shalinsky? Yes. That motion carries five to zero. This is Chair Falvey. Um, should we move on to miscellaneous? It looks like there's training. Is that still on the agenda? Steffi is on Catherine Week. Yes, it is. If you're ready to move on to that, we can get started with that. So every year we try to do um, a little uh, training for this board. This is a dual purpose board. So you are a joint board of zoning appeals board and the sign code board of appeals. And so we're going to do training for both boards um, under this current meeting because that's what we're gaveled in as and there's no need to gavel in between both boards to do the training. So hold on one sec. Just make sure. Is it, sh is it showing the PowerPoint? It was, but it's not now. Okay. Sorry guys, after two years, I, and I make fun of other people. <laughs> now it is great. great. Okay. All right, so this is an overview, overview for the Board of Zoning Appeals and um, the Sign Code Board of Appeals. We'll have that um, training here at the end as well. 
Um, so as I mentioned, you are a dual role board. And so we gavel in and out for each uh, board as you have items for those boards. Um, and so to, to today we just had the one item for Sign Code Board of Appeals. So that's what we're gaveled in as and we'll stay that way uh, for this. Uh, so you're a seven member board and you're appointed by the mayor. Um, there is a chair, vice chair, and the staff liaison slash secretary position is uh, voted on. You all vote on that in um, October. A little bit about the board. So you you are what is known as a quasi-judicial board. So we're, we're mandated by Kansas statute to have a board of zoning appeals um, to alleviate any loss of rights um, or challenges that come up for property owners based on the requirements of the code. Um, and what quasi-judicial means is basically you're having a partly judicial character um, by the possession of the right to hold a hearing on and conduct investigations into disputed claims or infractions of rules and regulations and that you make decisions in the general manner um, of a court. Um, and so you're kind of acting as a judge on each item that comes uh, before you. And so the Board of Zoning Appeals is not making any new laws, uh, but rather you're applying those existing laws uh, to specific facts um, concerning one person or a small number of people. And then all the evidence uh, that may be considered by the board um, has to be presented at the public hearing, which is why everything comes to you in the packets and any item that's going to be deferred is done prior to the meeting. So once the meeting starts, that item can no longer be deferred. And we'll talk about that here in a little, little bit. Um, so what is your role? Um, your role as the Board of Zoning Appeals, Sign Code Board of Appeals, is that you act as a safety me mechanism where the code may be creating a loss of rights. Um, and you're going to apply the law to specific facts that come before you. And basically it tries to equalize rights. Um, and so an example of that, a loss of rights is when a property, property cannot be utilized as it is zoned or platted. Um, an example of what, what is not your role is that, um, for instance, certain business plans or design choices and options that may make a preferred choice um, more difficult they, that might incur an additional cost, those are not a loss of rights. Those are challenges or hardships that may come up, but they're not a loss of rights. And um, again, all of the evidence that, that you're weighing needs to be presented at that public hearing and be considered at that hearing. And so what, what is the difference between a commission um, and the Board of Zoning Appeals? So think of it this way, the city commission is the entity that creates the code. They're the ones that ultimately approve whether or not the code gets on the books. Um, the planning commission is a body that proposes code. Um, so their recommendations go then back to the city commission who ultimately approves the code. Then your role comes into play after those codes have been adopted where you apply the code. Um, again, so you're adjudicating or applying that code to specific pack, uh, specific facts um, and they're not based on personal opinions, they're based on those code regulations. Also, there should be no prejudging when you're looking at items that come before you. Um, you should try to maintain open and impartial um, uh, opinions and then listen to the evidence that comes before you and make your decision accordingly. 
it sounds like, you know, common logic, but sometimes it's difficult. Um, so it's good to have a little refresher on some of these things. And then what is a variance? A variance um, are things that vary from specific zoning standards in the land development code. Um, examples are usually dimensional. That's where your purview lies. There are things like setback distances, areas, heights, um, and other standards of development. Um, Uh, there are two types of variances. Um, one is what's called a use variance, this is, and you can see that's noted in red there. And one is called an area variance, which is where your purview lies. Um, generally, use variances are only applicable in a few states across the United States. They are not applicable here in Kansas. So uh, via Kansas statute, you are not authorized to grant a use variance you are only authorized to grant area variances. Let's see. So here we're kind of getting into what, what those standards are, the limitations. Um, in, in addition to not being able to grant use, use variances, the Board of Zoning Appeals also does not have authority over Article 7 in our Land Development Code. Article 7, um, oversees plan developments. So like a PCD district or a PRD district, any district that is um, garnered through a final development plan, um, those are not under your purview. So if someone were to want a variance in one of those districts, they have to go through the uh, final development revision process. Um, so that's not under the Board of, Board of Zoning Appeals uh, purview. Also, uh, the Board of Zoning Appeals is not authorized to grant variances for anything in chapter 21. Chapter 21 of our city code um, is uh, the SMART code, which has its own set of rules for how to grant things like variances. In that code, it's called a waiver, um, but it's different from the rest of the land development code. So you're not authorized to grant variances for those things. And staff does not bring those before you. So if, if for some of some reason we get an application for something like that, reroute those accordingly to the uh, entities that can handle those. We just, you simply don't see them. <clears throat> so some examples uh, that things that you cannot give a variance for. Um, example uh, of a gas station in a residential zoning district that is not permitted uh, by the use table that would be what would be considered a use variance. So you're granting a variance for a use that is typically not permitted in the district, that would not be permitted. And again, staff would simply not bring that before you because you're not authorized to do that. And then no variances, as I mentioned, in a planned development district. Um, can you give a variance for height, setbacks, um, areas, things like that? Yes, those are things that you can give variances for um, that is under your purview. So another little note about variance is that variances run with the land. Um, so businesses and development are considered temporary and they can change over time. So a business can come and go, buildings can come and go. And we have other planning application processes that or guide those types of activities. Um, and uh, variances should not be considered um, for specific businesses or developments. Variances should be considered with the ultimate idea in mind that they're created by some land action 
either platting or zoning. Um, it's created an unnecessary hardship, which we'll talk about, and it's going to run with that land probably in perpetuity until it's replatted or combined or some, some other land action takes place. And variants can, can sometimes significantly change the character of an area. Um, so you sh they should be weighed carefully um, and you should consider um, their intent is to alleviate that hardship, that unnecessary hardship. Um, and they shouldn't be granted for things which are kind of considered convenience variances. Okay, and this is just a slide to kind of show you um, that a variance is not to grant um, an additional benefit to another landowner, but that it's intended to equalize um, a similar a, a situation in similarly zoned uh, districts. So that you're not you're not giving someone an extra advantage by granting that variance. You're basically giving them back the right to do um, what the land permits them to do in that zoning district. So the governing uh, statutes dictate that, again, BZA can approve variances from specific zoning districts, that they are not contrary to uh, the public interest, and that the literal enforcement of the standards that are on the books or the regulations dictated in the code would result in an unnecessary hardship due to special conditions um, you can improve uh, variances in specific cases, um, not from the land development code at will, not for convenience variances, um, and not where the public interest will be uh, damaged or detrimental to the public interest. And those variances should be dictated by land actions that have happened, not those um, created by uh, the owner or the applicant. So let's talk about the difference between a hardship and a necessary hardship. And this is sometimes the most challenging criteria uh, when it comes to analyzing uh, the variance. What is a hardship? This is where you are really not authorized to grant a variance. And those are things like preferences or design options and expansions of services. They could create a hardship for the applicant in that they may entail additional expense or costs, they may have to modify their building, they may have to change the site to accommodate these things. Those could be potential hardships, things that they may have to weigh um, when they're asking for or proposing a development activity. Um, but does it rise to the level of unnecessary hardship? And in that case, they have to really look at that uh, specific definition that applies, and that is what you need to weigh um, when you're uh, reviewing for that criteria of unnecessary hardship. If it doesn't meet that definition, even though it may be a hardship in the eyes of the applicants or even in the eyes of the board, um, if it doesn't meet that definition, it does not rise to the level of meeting that criteria. <clears throat> so what is unnecessary hardship? <clears throat> so unnecessary hardship is the condition that is resulting from a regulation application that is so unreasonable as it has become a as to become arbitrary and capricious and or convincing proof that is impossible uh, to use that property for a conforming use or constituting a hardship that deprives owners property without compensation 
and mere financial loss, and this is specific in the definition, mere financial loss or loss of a potential financial advantage does not constitute a necessary hardship. And so what is the common language for arbitrary and capricious? Because um, that's kind of a very technical judicial term. Um, common language for that, just for you to keep in mind, is that it's doing something according to one's will um, and therefore conveying a notion or of a tendency of abuse um, and that basically you're just kind of arbitrarily applying that um, and it's not based on um, the code regulation that's in the book, consistent regulation. So an example, maybe it's um, an unnecessary hardship would be that once you apply the setbacks to a property, uh, that it is um, in a residential district, it is suddenly impossible to build a detached house. Um, maybe that land was platted prior to the current zoning regulations. At the time it was platted, the setbacks were different. Um, now it's been, now that code is, codes have changed, there's literally no area left on the property to build that structure. That would be an unnecessary hardship. They literally cannot do what they, what is meant to be done on that property. An example of what would not be an unnecessary hardship uh, would, would be that the setbacks are applied and maybe they want to expand um, an existing detached dwelling on the property and they want to add a additional bedroom or larger bathroom or porch. Those things are choices. And if the land came into existence as platted lot that met the codes and the setbacks at the time, now, now we're making a choice that is creating something that would not be compliant. So that is not necessarily, that is not an unnecessary hardship. It may be a hardship for their choices for what they would like to do with their detached dwelling, but it's not rising to the level of a necessary hardship. <clears throat> so there are five criteria um, that uh, must be met in order for the Board of Zoning Appeals to grant a variance. And those five criteria are one, uniqueness, and it is specified that it is not a uniqueness created by the applicant. Uh, two, that there are no adverse effects to neighboring properties or nearby properties. Three, that it does rise to the level of a necessary hardship. And again, it is not an unnecessary hardship that is created by the applicant, so it's not caused by the applicant. Uh, four, it does not negatively impact health, safety, welfare, and the common good. Uh, five, that it does not go against the spirit and intent uh, of the code that's being uh, weighed. So I've tried to include some examples um, and feel free to ask me questions if you uh, think that's appropriate. So uniqueness, again, not caused by the applicant. Uh, so maybe zoning has changed over time and it's created a nonconformity and that nonconformity um, has prompted uh, the owner or applicant to request a variance so that their property is in conformance. That's something that could be created because it was not caused by the applicant. It's something that happened over time through zoning changes. Um, an existing platting er platted area of the lot permits no buildable or limited buildable area due to dimensional standards having changed over time. Again, that would be a case where the old code maybe had a lesser setback requirement. The new code uh, has, or newly adopted code has a greater setback requirement. And so now that structure 
uh, or that uh, lot has limited area where they could actually utilize their property. Again, uh, something that is not uh, considered unique is specific floor plans or specific business services um, or a specific property owner or business um, is being considered in your um, analysis. Again, those are not related to the land. Those are related to temporary aspects um, that are happening on that land. <clears throat> Uh, example for criteria two, that there are no adverse effects um, to neighboring properties. And a good example of when there are no adverse effects is when the variance is solely equalizing that permitted use in the district uh, with the rest of similarly zoned properties. And it does not physically impact uh, the others or neighbors. An example uh, where um, a variance may not meet the criteria is that that variance is granting a particular property owner an advantage or a benefit um, that other property owners are not getting. <clears throat> um, unnecessary hardship, we'll talk about that just a little bit more. That's the third criteria. Um, again, not caused by the applicant. It cannot be caused by the applicant. Um, Again, an unnecessary hardship is created by a zoning action, a platting action, a down zoning, um, something that was built prior to current regulations that have changed over time um, and that render them unable to utilize the property um, in a conforming manner or at all. That, that would be an unnecessary hardship. Other things that could be hardships but may not rise to the level um, of unnecessary hardship it are things like easements on properties. You know, lots of properties have easements on them, um, extraordinary drainage, uh, lot shape and lot size, maybe it's a triangle. Just because it is a weird shape does not necessarily mean it's a necessary hardship. It may create a challenge, um, but there, if there's a design alternative or there is a solution for them to be compliant, it does not rise to the level of a necessary hardship. The fourth criteria, which is um, covers things like health, safety, welfare, um, common good uh, examples are variances that trigger no detrimental effects um, to the health, safety, and welfare of others. An example where uh, something might be creating uh, or not meeting this uh, particular criteria where it's creating a safety hazard, uh, for instance, where it might infringe on traffic sight lines or pedestrian safety, um, or if it creates a benefit to the specific property um, owner and that others do not have, that, that could be considered something that is not in the common good. And whether it meets um, the fifth, fifth criteria is whether it meets the spirit and intent of the code. Um, an example of that where it does not affect any other code requirements or regulations. Um, so the variance is not disregarding other regulations um, and it's only alleviating the unnecessary hardship. So it's basically not casting any other thing that might be required um, from other code regulations or processes but it is truly just granting um, an alleviation from that unnecessary hardship. Um, an example 
uh, that maybe doesn't meet the spirit or intent is where we're using um, existing conditions that are required maybe by other code regulations to justify granting a variance. Um, that is really getting more towards um, granting convenience variances, and that is really not the spirit and intent of those code regulations. And one thing I might note here is that, you know, it, it may be helpful for staff to additionally um, add a little bit more in their staff reports for um, the intent and the purpose sections of some of the code you know, when we put the relevant code sections in our staff reports for you, um, it may be helpful for us to add some of those purpose statements uh, from those specific code section that, that could help guide uh, some of those discussions on spirit and intent. <clears throat> so getting into those uh, staff reports and recommendations. So staff on also analyzes every variance request against those five criteria. And staff's role is to try to compile all the relevant code sections that you might need to analyze those five criteria as well. And so we try to gather all of that information for you, the history of the property, when it was plotted, when it was zoned, how the zoning changed, um, what code sections are they asking for variances from, um, what are those requirements? We try to present all of that information to you. And I know sometimes it's a lot of information but we try to do all that legwork for you to get all that information before you so you can weigh um, your decisions appropriately. And again, we'll present all that code related analysis um, to you. Um, we try to do it in a um, non-opinionated way. We try to just give you the facts um, and let you, we make an analysis and a recommendation and then we try to let you um, do the same, so. Um, you also, as the Board of Zoning Appeals, um, are uh, the body uh, that someone would come to if they have an administrative appeal. Administrative appeals are a little bit different than variances. Um, basically, an administrative appeal is an alleged error in any order or requirement or decision or determination uh, that this, the um, city authority has made. Um, you cannot uh, overturn an administrative appeal unless there is substantial factual evidence um, that that error was made. Um, and so again, you all function like a bit like a court in, in this um, role and the burden of proof um, as stated in the code section is actually on the owner to show that there was an error. So they need to pre present the evidence for you um, and show you how that error was made or what that error was. So there are some limitations in your authority on administrative appeals. Um, staff reports are not, uh, not administrative determinations. So staff reports are not something that could be administratively appealed. And then the planning commission is not an administrative uh, official. They are actually a planning, their commission. Um, so you don't have any authority to weigh appeals on a planning commission decision. Um, that would be the city commission that would do that. Um, and any review procedures in Article 13 are not administrative orders. So Article 13 is our article that guides all of our development processes. It tells you uh, when site plans and platting and all of those process things are required and how they have to go through the system. Um, those are not um, things that the uh, Board of Zoning Appeals can 
uh, weigh in on as far as an administrative appeal. And then again, uh, you cannot overturn an administrative appeal unless there's substantial factual evidence. And all of that evidence um, that may be considered by the board must be presented at that public hearing. And upon closing the public hearing, uh, the board takes final action um, on those procedures and requirements. Um, so you have to take a final action after hearing all those uh, facts um, in that hearing. So you may reverse an administrative official when that substantial and factual evidence has been presented um, so that if, if they show evidence that staff has erred or the administrative official has erred, um, then you can absolutely um, uh, reverse that administrative uh, determination. So let's talk about uh, your decisions and what your options are in your decisions. Uh, so you have three things that you can do when you're looking at a variance. You can approve that variance, you can approve that variance with conditions, and you can deny that variance. Um, and although it doesn't say so in the code, um, there's a couple things to talk about with conditions. Um, so when you approve something with conditions, typically you're approving something I'll give an example. So for instance, someone's going through a development uh, process application for a minor subdivision and or a site plan. And part of that site plan activity requires them to ask for a variance for whatever reason. However, you may determine that that variance would not, you might approve the variance with the condition it's approved pending approval of the site plan. So that's a condition that is typically seen. Um, so you wanna be thoughtful about your conditions. You are authorized to do conditions, but they should relate to the variance process and to ask, ask of the unnecessary hardship that they're being um, asked to alleviate. So when you have those condition options, keep that in mind. Does it still, does it still meet the criteria uh, for granting of the variance and alleviating it alleviating an unnecessary hardship. And then your third option, of course, is that uh, you could just deny the variance if you don't find that it meets those criteria. Um, in administrative appeal, you also have three options. Um, you could reverse um, the administrative decision if you find uh, that there is substantial evidence presented that the, an error was made. You could affirm wholly or in part, so you could, you could find that part of that administrative determination was um, uh, accurate and part of it was an error, you could find that. Or you could modify um, the determination um, if you've, uh, in an instance where you might find that part of the administrative determination was in error, you could modify that to alleviate the error. You can also, um, if you do not have enough evidence to make a determination, you can also refer the item back to staff um, for additional, or you can refer the item back for additional information that staff would have to get for you for your next meeting to determine uh, where that uh, administrative appeal would land. And you can ask for additional staff from both the applicant, or additional information from both the applicant and from staff in that instance. So if you need additional information to make it an accurate determination, 
you can absolutely ask for that. Um, after you've made your decision, um, all decisions become effective the day of the meeting. Um, staff will send out an action letter. Um, sometimes we send it out in the evening, depends on what time the meeting is over. Sometimes we send it out the following morning, but we are required to send out an action letter to let the applicant know the, the official decision that the Board of Zoning Appeals has made. Um, a person aggrieved at that decision has 30 working days um, after that decision has become effective to appeal it to the district court if they find um, that they wish to do that. And then variances expire in 24 months if a building permit or whatever permit process uh, would have been required for the variance um, is not obtained within 24 months um, after that uh, variance has been granted. And we do have cases where that has happened, where someone has been granted a variance, the applicant for whatever reason, um, did not move forward with their project or took a while um, and did not and occasionally the variances has, have expired and they've either had to reapply um, if they wish to continue or um, alter their development. So a little bit more about decisions. Um, so it is okay to deny. It's very hard as humans to deny people um, when they come to make requests. But as the Board of Zoning Appeals, um, it is okay to do so. You're there to adjudicate the code, uh, not to make favorable or unfavorable decisions. It doesn't, those should not matter. Um, you're not, you should not be prejudging the items when you come um, before the item is heard. You should keep an open mind and be impartial. Um, make sure you're hearing all the evidence. Um, if you have questions, um, about the code or the evidence. Staff is here to help guide you. You can ask the questions of us. You can ask the questions of the applicant um, to try to get the information you need uh, to make those uh, good and impartial decisions. Uh, make sure that all your reasoning is code-based and criteria-based um, and try not to invent justifications based on you know, opinions. Uh, for uniqueness or hardship uh, to meet those criteria. And so really use those five criteria to determine um, if the variance request can be approved. And, you know, this does not necessarily apply now, but in the past, um, you know, we've had comments about this should not be a code. Um, the Board of Zoning Appeals doesn't have to like the code. You're not there to make the code. You're just there to make sure that the code um, is not creating a hardship for someone that would not be able to utilize their property um, as it has been deemed uh, usable. So sometimes those things are hard to keep in mind, but try to try to follow those criteria and keep keep an open mind in that regard. And so again, as a joint or dual board, you have other roles, um, as is this tonight, you are convened as the Sign Code Board of Appeals. Um, and that is headed by the Building Safety Division, which is why uh, you get Timberly, the permit technician, and sometimes Brian Jimenez, who's our code official, will present uh, items on signs uh, for you because that's into their division. Um, you'll also hear potential floodplain variances, which is also under the purview of the Board of Zoning Appeals, but for flood, 
plane variances, there are additional factors and criteria that you have to weigh. Um, there's actually 12 to 18 uh, different criteria in addition to those five and that we have typically that you have to weigh for a floodplain variance. A little more entailed, um, we don't hear them very often, but we do have them occasionally. <clears throat> Specific design variances, um, it's a little different than the Board of Zoning Appeals in that uh, the person seeking the variance has to bear that burden of proof, just like in an appeal situation. And so any person that is seeking a signed permit that cannot meet those restrictions or standards, um, they're eligible to apply for a variance from the restrictions and standards um, simply by submitting uh, the application for a variance to the, to the director of planning. Um, and, but they have to show you the evidence that they cannot meet that code. Um, staff, which is why the reports look a little different. Staff tries to pre present the, um, the list of code requirements, whether it meets or does not meet as they would review the permit. Uh, and then you are there to uh, determine whether or not meets those three criteria um, as far as um, creating a hardship for not being able to meet the code. So those three uh, criteria are similar to the Board of Zoning Appeals, but a little bit different wording. Um, the first one is that the variance request arises from conditions that are unique to the location in question and that they're not ordinarily found in the zoning district and that the unique conditions are not caused or created by um, the actions or action of the applicant or owner. The second one is that granting the variance will not be materially detrimental to the public welfare, including visual appearance of the area or injuries to property or improvements in such zoning districts or the neighborhood in which the property is located. And then the third one. <clears throat> so that the strict application of the sign code would result in a practical difficulty or unnecessary hardship to the owner applicant, to similar to the BZA, and whether it would be inconsistent with the general purpose and intent of the sign code. Such practical <clears throat> difficulties or unnecessary hardships may include compliance with amended provisions of the sign code that were not in effect at the time uh, a predecessor sign was installed. And so a little bit more about the board, uh, talking about some deferrals and withdrawals now, um, all of those must occur prior to the hearing of the case. So once that meeting opens and once that, um, uh, basically once the meeting opens, which is why we do it at the beginning, um, any item will have to be heard by you. That's why we present those deferrals and withdrawals prior um, hopefully prior to the agenda, but if not, um, we do it prior to the beginning of the meeting at the beginning when you guys are taking role. We'll do that right after that. Um, abstaining and recusing um, also must occur prior to the hearing the case. And <clears throat> for consistency for um, all of the city boards and commissions, you must leave the room during that item. Um, you can come back in after the item if there's multiple items, but when you're recusing or abstaining from an item, you do need to leave the room. <clears throat> Attendance, uh, you should plan to attend all the meetings. 
Um, and if you can't for any reason, please, uh, you should notify staff well in advance so that we can uh, be aware if there are gonna be quorum issues. The unique thing about our board is we have a 20 day notification period. So if someone, if we were gonna have a quorum issue um, to call a special meeting, we have to have a 20 day notice. Once you do a 20 day notice for a special meeting, you're about a week and a half out from the next board of zoning appeals meeting anyway. So it makes it very challenging um, to schedule special meetings or get the item heard um, if we don't have quorum. So it's very important for attendance um, and the lack of attendance can affect quorum and create issues for uh, calling special meetings. Uh, general conduct of the board. Um, this is for all city boards and commissions. Um, we are as a board expected to respect the public in all instances and that we should be allowing all viewpoints and opinions. Um, you should not be making any political points um, again, you're here to be impartial uh, and not to prejudge items and that we have various levels of city engaged citizen engagement. Sometimes we have first time participants that are not familiar with talking to individuals or making decisions. Um, so it's, it's nice for us to be welcoming and encouraging and uh, patient with those individuals um, and just try to be courteous. And these are uh, citywide policies. This is not just for the Board of Zoning Appeals. So. That concludes our training session, and I would be happy to answer your questions if you have them. <clears throat> uh, board Member Gardner, uh, comment. Um, Catherine, I've been on the board now uh, eight, almost eight years, and this was by far the most thorough training. So, you know, well done. Um, thank you. Um, we have in that time um, made decisions that fit almost every criteria. I, I'm, I was watching and, and listening as you were going through everything from sending stuff back to staff to approving to denying. Um, one thing that I don't know if it's possible, but the, the one that's most infrequent for us is the administrative uh, review decision. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if it's possible to do just-in-time training just before the meeting starts and provide examples of each of those um, so that it's fresh and especially for board members who, who come on and are new and don't mm -hmm. get this training when the event first happens. Mm -hmm. So it's a good question. We try we try to do the training once a year, and we try to do the training um, when we have new members that come on. We give them training individually if they're coming on midterm or um, something like that. The tricky thing about the Board of Zoning Appeals is we try not to give training directly before items that you're going to be hearing because it can influence, um, even though it's training, it can influence your discussion and your um, impartial opinions. So we try to give trainings at the end of meetings after the items have been heard, um, just so that we're not unduly um, influencing your decision-making process at the beginning of the item. Rightly or wrongly, that's how we've done it in the past. Um, so we try to do training at the end of the meeting. 
But we certainly could have individual training meetings um, if anybody feels they need um, additional training or um, when we do have new uh, members come on, we could send out. Um, we have to be careful if we do that because if we have a quorum, then it's it's a public meeting. But if we're um, giving training, if one or two individuals want to um, also refresh their training, we could we could entertain that. You can also incorporate it into staff reports. And we could also incorporate some of the refresher um, items, like I mentioned, those um, uh, purpose and intent statements. We could also uh, incorporate some refreshments about options on what your options are um, when you're reviewing those items in the staff report itself. I know it makes the staff report longer, a lot more material to read, but we're, we as staff are willing to put whatever you need in those staff reports to help you in making your decision. Um, so if you feel you need um, kind of the reminders or what your um, options are as far as decision making, we, we can put that in some format in a, in a way in a staff report if that helps. Thank you. And uh, I think it's been helpful so, for example, with Jared as a lawyer on the board, that actually has helped in the past as well when he spoke up. Any other questions? We've had a lot of really good discussions and a lot of very interesting uh, items that have come before the board in the last few years in particular. And we've had a mix. We've had floodplain items. We've had administrative appeals. We've had some variances. We've had some sign codes, some tricky, tricky projects. Um, we've had a little bit of everything. Um, so as a board, you all have seen a lot <laughs> as far as items that have come before you. So, well, thank you. It was well done. All right. That's all that staff has. So, this is Chair Falvey. Is there any other items under miscellaneous? Uh, we do not have this. Sorry, staff liaison Catherine Week. We do not have any other miscellaneous items. Um, at this time, we also have not received any applications for next month. Um, we have one that may potentially come in tomorrow, um, but as it stands right now, um, we have not seen an application for next month, so. This is Chair Falvey. Do I have a motion for adjournment? Board Member Gardner, so moved. Shalinsky, second. This is Chair Falvey. We've got a motion and a second to adjourn the meeting. Staff, could you please uh, call roll? Yeah, staff liaison, Catherine Week. Uh, Falvey? Yes. Gardner? Yes. Herod? Yes. Okay. Rankin? Yes. Shalinsky? Yes. All right. Motion carries five to zero. Thank you all. Thank Thanks you. Thanks much. Have a great Thanks. evening. Bye.